Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. I'm joined today by my friend Todd Waldron. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you today? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. You know, I think it's cold out there in New York as it is here too, but uh, we're near the end of it. We got some fresh snow on the ground, but uh, we'll be heading towards spring. And I'm excited that uh, everybody's starting to talk about turkeys. We're looking at launching uh, the Learn to Hunt Turkeys course on Hunting Camp Live. We're going to be doing a mentored hunt here in North Central Minnesota in early May through a partnership with uh, SCI Foundation. And so we just got a lot of, a lot of fun things going, going on. What, uh, what do you got going on out, out in New York? Yeah, same kinds of things. So we are in a transition period here in mid-March. So ice fishing will be winding down, I'd say over the next two weeks. Uh, supposed to, It's been cold here for the last week or so, but the weather's going to warm up next week and the ice will start breaking up on the edges of the lakes. And so that's going to be shifting. Um, trout opener in New York is always April 1st. Uh, what's interesting is up in the Adirondacks, there's usually still ice and snow in the stream. So I don't usually start trout fishing fishing on the ponds until Memorial Day, but it is pretty cool that there's trout fishing opportunities in April here. Um, you know, just high water and usually pretty cold, but a lot of folks do really well with it. So have fun with that. And then, yeah, turkey season's going to come in in May. So all sorts of fun things to look forward to. Yeah, busy times. So, uh, so Today uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump back in time about a year and a half uh, to actually conversation that you Todd and I had with uh, your friend David Giever in the Brooklyn uh, Sportsman's Club, uh, the Rod and Gun Club, I think it's called. And uh, we had it was a, it was a fun conversation. It was the day after. Uh, we had the event at David Perella's house, which was about 25, 30 people from New York City talking about hunting. And I just love these these mix-ups of where it's just like, hey, you got all these, these people who live in this large urban area and we're talking about hunting. And it was great because we talked about both the opportunities and the, that are maybe unknown to a lot of people and the challenges that they have to deal with that maybe somebody who lives in a rural area or a smaller town doesn't have to have to think about, you know, transportation and with firearms, et cetera, those types of things. So I, I, I think it's, it's fun to go back and, and, and listen to this. One of the, uh, one of the things that, uh, that we mention in there, I talk about, I make a subtle reference to you and I having a productive day the day before. And, uh, what's fun about that is it's actually the day before was when you and I had a long conversation went on for hours where we concepted the idea of the outdoor feast podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah so and to put it into context we're in downtown brooklyn at a coffee shop and we had just visited this really cool place called the meat hook i think it was called it was like a butcher shop yeah and uh, we were in there as the gal in there Mm -hmm. and they had been referenced in a really cool new york times article like three days before that, that's what prompted us to go there. Your idea was to go down there and just meet them and say hello and invite them over to David Perella's house. And uh, I'm so glad like that was such a great trip. And, uh, you know, the whole thing around it was good. And give a shout out to, you know, to David Perella and his wife for hosting that and everybody that showed up. And to our friend Matt Rogers for getting us a tour into the Metropolitan Rod and Gun Club the next day. Uh, that was everything about that trip was exciting and fun and energizing. It really was. It was. It was a lot of fun, and obviously it got us going on on uh, the second podcast, Outdoor Feast. The only bummer was we were going to go out fishing on the open water. And, uh, the weather kept us from that. We kept, uh, we kept in touch with that guide and he kept saying, ah, we got to keep an eye on this. And then we had to, we had to call it that night before, which was too bad. We'll have to, we'll have to reschedule that sometime. Yeah. So we were going to go fishing and there were, it was 
this was, this was like mid-August, and there was a thunderstorm that ran through New York City um, that evening. So that's what, you know, there were waves, and the guy had a small skiff, boat, and we'll have to catch up with that next time. There's some really cool fishing opportunities there in Long Island for summer fishing for fluke and for different bottom fish, and uh, kind of plays off that podcast we did with Gary Mares and Matt Corcoran recently about Long Island opportunities. Um, so next time we're in New York City, we actually have to get out and do some fun outdoor stuff around town and experience that. We got to go fishing, and then we'll uh, go have some uh, pico oysters with Peter Stein. I think would be a would be a good idea. So, well, uh, David Giever, uh, my apologies for how long it took to get this out because he said he would only record a podcast if we'd get it out quickly, and obviously, a year and a half isn't very quick. So, uh, my apologies, but uh, hope you enjoy this conversation. It's a good one from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, everyone, I am here in Brooklyn, New York with my friend Todd Waldron and my new friend David Giever. Thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast, you guys. It's great to be on the podcast, Mark. Yep. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So what we want to talk about today is, well, first of all, where are we? We are in the Metropolitan Rod and Gun Club in Brooklyn, New York, aren't we? Uh, this a uh, storied gun club that's been around since 1934, I believe we were just told. That's that's it, yep. Used to be a synagogue for a brief period of time in the 1920s, and then a manufacturing facility for um, shoes, doing some shoe parts, and then it became the Rod and Gun Club, and has been that ever since. And uh, I can't think of a better place to be recording this podcast than in this space. It's just, it's just so cool. It is really neat, and good, good guys that that uh, that we've met to know, and uh, and so this is going to be fun. Um, so today's conversation is is going to follow along lines of of what we've been talking about the last couple of days. You, Todd, and and, and me, uh, and David. We were last night. We had this event last night, which was really cool. Uh, which was getting a group of people together who live in Brooklyn who either are avid long lifelong hunters they've just learned to hunt within the last year or maybe they don't hunt or fish at all um, and to, to, to talk about what are the challenges uh, with living living in an urban environment like New York City to partake in these activities and what are the opportunities that maybe aren't realized that a lot of pe- a lot of people don't know? Um, so prior to that, Todd, you and I were going to go fishing yesterday morning out in the ocean, right here out out of out of uh, Brooklyn, but that was a flop. That was a flop. <laughs> we did not go fishing. A big storm moved through the yeah. night before, and the sea was pretty choppy, and we just decided to pass on the fishing. Yeah, we had a productive uh, productive day on that. We anyway, did. We had yeah, a, we good. had we had a great day <laughs> of, of uh, fun, and we got to go over to the uh, the meat hook uh, butcher shop, which was really cool. Seeing these guys, they use rotational uh, um, uh, agriculture, and with with local uh, local ranchers, farmers for their pork, their beef, and everything. Really cool, and just like doing innovative things, doing uh, butchering classes. Um, a lot of, a lot of neat stuff. Yeah. Give a shout out to Sunny over there oh, for her, absolutely. you know, taking the time to meet with us. We were probably there for 20, 25 minutes or so talking with her. She took and, us back into the cooler, showed yeah. us, showed us what they had going on. Yeah. Really, really cool place. Sunny yep. was great. That was a lot of fun to meet her. Yep. And then we went to last night where we had probably about 25 people, uh, at, uh, at David, uh, uh, a BHA member over at his house. And great conversation. I I am just, I told Todd this morning, I said, I am so pumped up. I'm just like energized from Dave, the conversations we had um, until almost midnight. <laughs> we started at what, 5.30, 6 o'clock? That's a long time. That's right. And we could have kept going. We could have kept going another 10 hours. You know, it's just like, I think our bodies finally, uh, finally told us, no, it's time for bed. But um, some of the things we talked about that I think are, are, are good 
you know, starters for, for today's conversation are, um, you know, we talked about why don't more people hunt? You know, if you look at the trends we talk about all the time are how the hunt, the outdoor community, hunting and fishing traditionally, all lump foraging in there also as, as a lifestyle activity. Um, but that, that traditional uh, outdoors man is, is community is in decline. You know, in 1959, we had about 8% of the population in, in the U.S. Um, partaking in those activities. Uh, as of now, it's just over 4%. Who knows? In 2019, late 2019, it might be below 4%. I mean, because it's continuing to drop. And and so what we were talking about last night was why don't, why don't more people hunt and, and fish. And the one thing that came up, obviously, given where we're at in New York here is, is access and accessibility. And I think accessibility takes different forms of, do you have access to hunting land, fishing waters? Do you have access to transportation? Do you have access to a firearm uh, or a bow, things like that? So David, I mean, I think you've got some really cool perspectives on that because you live right here in Brooklyn. Yep. And, uh, I was also one of the adult onset hunters, but uh, probably one of the OG adult onset hunters. Um, I got interested in hunting about 10 years ago from a Ted Carasote book that we were talking about last night. And, um, so, you know, meat eater wasn't a thing yet. Um, and it took me a while to really figure out what direction I was going to go in my hunting career. Um, I never fired a gun before. Didn't know anybody that had guns. Figured that um, firearm hunting would be the sensible path, though. Wasn't it one page in the Ted Carousel book that you said? Yeah. Got you interested in hunting? Yeah, one page. And what was that passage? Like the gist of it? It wasn't, it wasn't so much about... It was more who Ted was as a person. So it was this realization that is profanity allowed on your podcast? <laughs> sure, go for it. It was this realization that this guy was a hunter and he wasn't an asshole. <laughs> and um, that's certainly not the uh, image of hunting that you're given, right? By a lot of By, you pop know, culture. Well, yeah. pop culture and also, to a certain extent, hunters that you meet in everyday life, right? There's kind of the two stereotypes. There's the rich guy that's the trophy hunter that is doing it for an ego reason and there's a fat slob who gets drunk and is just interested in killing deer right and that's the perception that people have yeah i think that's i think i think that's that's fair to say that a lot of people have that have those stereotype perceptions right. absolutely and i think that a lot of us that you know uh we feel this connection to you know, to the outdoors and, you know, where our food comes from and all of the incredible things that we get out of hunting, you know, um, the lessons that it can teach you about patience and perseverance. And um, for the most part, we go about our life without making other people confront it, right? We, people can meet us all the time and they don't know that we hunt. I, you know, I meet people in Brooklyn and I could maybe have known them for a year. And then I walk into their house and there's a mule deer on their wall. Where did that come from? <laughs> how did, how did we, how did we never get there we, right yeah. in the conversation? <laughs> um, <laughs> hey everyone, it's Mark. I hope you're enjoying this conversation in the podcast. If you are new to hunting and you want to continue down the path to becoming a hunter, make sure you check out huntingcamp.live. This is our online learning portal, and you can go try it out for free. Get a lesson and see what you think. We do video-based learning, and there are outdoor mentors in our community who are there to help you and answer questions you might have and get you into your local hunting community so that you can start down this path to a new adventure. Again, just go to huntingcamp.live. So why do you think, um, again, getting back to like you know, barriers to why, why, why more people don't hunt and, and fish. I mean, I think like you talked about, I think stereotypes is definitely a, uh, a barrier of 
people may be saying, I don't want to associate with, with, with certain people. What are, what are the other things? Or are... So I think um, one thing I heard last night, first I'm going to back up and say that I was really impressed with the amount of energy and thoughtfulness and like the mindfulness uh-huh. of the group that we had the conversation, the quality of that conversation was amazing. It really was. The energy and the demand for that kind of conversation, the appetite for it is here. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, w- even in, from being from New York, uh, with the events that we have done, I live upstate in the Adirondacks. And when I come to Brooklyn, when we do pint nights, when we were at Fet Sal, when we did this event last night with this group of people, I'm amazed about how much interest there is and curiosity and like this demand for people that want to connect there Mm -hmm. are people here even in new york city and that's intriguing because this is like the largest most cosmopolitan place in the world yet it's such a fundamental thing there are people here that want to hunt one thing i i found interesting mark was um i think david had mentioned this david uh, tp and he's like how i think it's a knowledge thing or a familiarity thing where it's like how did i not know yes that this was even here. Wait a minute. What? So I'm like, I'm interested in the outdoors and like, I can, I can look at this through the lens of connecting with my food and eating responsibly and trying to have that connection to the land. And I never knew that this like hunting um, opportunity could exist for me. Right. Right. And I think that there's a familiarity thing with people that don't grow up in hunting Mm -hmm. or don't have people they don't know who hunts i think that that's a that's one of the reasons people don't hunt you know i definitely i had that moment the three before hunting came into my life the three biggest you know things that the three biggest parts of my life were the outdoors dogs and food not necessarily connected no, 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 yeah. like, all, I mean, like all, like all yeah. in their own separate yeah. lane, right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I've done 420 mile through hikes, you know, like I was a line cook, you know, I like, um, all, you know, and I, I primarily worked in farm to table restaurants, you know, that, that was the interest that I had. How did those three things not come together into one <laughs> or earlier? Was it, or, or is there a moment in time where you're like, "Oh my gosh, these are all three came well, together"? Yeah. I mean, it was that, it was that one. It was, it was that, that one, one page of take oh, care. That, yeah, 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 I right, mean, where right, you know this right. guy he goes hunting with his dog, and it, it was actually, it was actually he. So for people on the East Coast, I mean, this is like unheard of to us, but he went elk hunting with his dog. Now. I'm still trying, you know, because the only experience that I have in hunting is East Coast, you know, hunting culture. We do not hunt (laughs) big game animals with dogs in the Northeast. But from my understanding, you know, out West in in Wyoming and Montana, you can be in the company of your dog while you're hunting elk. So we just had a law uh, passed in Minnesota this last session Mm -hmm. that allows you to now track uh, deer with dog. So never allowed wounded before. deer, wounded deer. Yes, okay. exactly. Yep. And I forget the details of it. Um, I always find that issue of dogs in hunting interesting because in, and obviously each species is different. You have different types of how you utilize the dog, obviously very common, uh, for, for obviously waterfall hunters and, and upland hunters. It's a dog's an essential tool as, as part of that. When you get to big game, then it becomes interesting. Like, you know, culture of 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 bear of cougar etc of of treen mm-hmm. versus versus what's the methodology because then you have like in europe i i believe in norway as an example and or scandinavian countries you have to have a dog you you're not allowed to go out hunting big game without a dog interesting right? isn't that interesting yeah, well, it is interesting it's just so like yeah. these cultural differences and this is where, around like, it. when you start to talk about ethics and hunting this is when it gets really interesting because they might think that we are unethical for going hunting for deer without a dog. But we, at the same time, might think that they're unethical for taking running shots on deer because they're hunting with a dog all the time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like, it, 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 there is like always that line of separating personal preferences from ethics and like our lens, like what we 
you know, how our lens was shaped, like what we consider normal, what we consider ethical, like being able to kind of step back and look at the difference between what is a personal preference or something that is learned or a custom mm -hmm. and what is actually really a Tr like a deeper ethical issue you Agreed, know i mean yeah, yeah we get in yeah, there's some confusion with all that for there, sure there but, is and, and i and i love the conversations like last night because i think you know again we had we had everybody on the spectrum from lifelong hunters to brand new hunters to non-hunters who were literally sitting there going okay my husband hunts my wife hunts i get it it's not for me and and i love those conversations and then and then it can be a a, a conversation that's less about well why do we do it that way oh it's that's just the way we've always done it and more about well why is it done that way and does that make sense and i think having a conversation like you said about um you know fair chase and 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 the ethics the deeper ethics of it and that's what's exciting that's what i love about those conversations is i think it's the right kind of right kinds of ones we're having yeah those were good conversations and so what did you hear last night like you, you know you asked us about um what our thoughts were, what we heard from our friends. Yeah. Uh, what was, what did you hear surrounding that question? Like, so, you know, relative to like, why aren't more people hunting, um, you know, in terms of barriers, et cetera. Again, one that came up a lot was access. And I think, um, you know, like with backcountry hunters and anglers, um, we talk about that from the standpoint of the importance of public lands because that is the number one, I think that the top two reasons people quit hunting, if you look at the traditional hunting community, it's losing access to, to the land or you lose the camaraderie of your fellow, uh, your fellow hunters where you're not, you're not doing it. This is from a personal standpoint, right? This is an issue that kind of gets me riled up because I live in Brooklyn I think you. it's safe to say that I have maybe the hardest access situation in the United States. It costs me $25 in tolls to just get out of here. I mean, like, I mean, it, you know, it's always going to be an hour and a half without traffic, with traffic, maybe three hours for me to go hunting. Access is not an issue. I... I have I have places that are an hour and a half away that are 2,000 acres and during bow season I have the place to myself. <laughs> and that's just one, one spot. One I, I would ask you though, like here's not, not a challenge, but I would ask you this. Like, so you have a baseline already of a familiarity of knowing what to look for in that access, right? And so for people, if, if you go back to that, from a hunting perspective or just yeah, from a so general like, outdoors perspective? Maybe both. But like what I'm saying is it's like for somebody that hasn't hunted at all, or maybe they're just getting started here, the, 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 the land is there. Like, so there's the access issue of find, the physical access, right? And then there's the, the transportation access and everything. And then there's the, the familiarity and the knowledge of where to look for. To, to even know that that exists. And so I feel like, like when we're talking to people about like last night, when we were talking about, um, when Jordana was talking about like, okay, when you start these conversations, if you just jump right into, to the third layer of like, okay, you, you, you have this land to hunt, but you know, you can't, I, I don't think you can make the assumption that people are there already in their the, mind. The knowing, what to, know. the knowing what to look for though, that's when we start to get into a success type of mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 My chances of success when I first started were, I mean, practically none. I mean, you know, I mean, I would like those first, especially those first couple of weeks, I was not going to, you know, going to kill a deer. That was, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me now, but I was hunting, right? I, I mean, yeah. I like, you know, I, I was out there with my bow and I will tell you, those first couple of weeks, that's the most amount of learning that I've had in this whole hunting journey of, of making mistakes and learning from them and saying, okay, this is not, this is what's not working. What am I going to have to change to make it work? And that's the part that I think, you know, there were, there were conversations last night going on, which I loved hearing, um, along the lines of what I love seeing about with so many new hunters is is an appreciation for and an understanding about the chase, about the full experience that's different from a lot of traditional perspectives. 
a lot of traditional perspectives, if you look at, you know, sort of old school, uh, learn to hunt, uh, get kids out, etc. It was always an emphasis on there's there's an emphasis on here's here's gun safety, here's here's gun handling, and then how do we quick as quickly as possible get that kid to success of getting a kill, of, mm. of getting an animal in front of them, etc. And and I think that is is fortunately going away and there's this appreciation and understanding for the full experience like you just said David of like and 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 Chris had talked about last night where mm-hmm. he was talking about going out I think it was I'd asked him if he'd gotten a whitetail yet and he said nope he said you know talked about last fall I think he was out eight days I think he hunted eight days and almost had a chance maybe but you could just tell him talking about it was was he just loved the experience and and that's that's what a lot of people I think don't understand the 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 general population is is the squeeze of the trigger or the release of the of the arrow what have you is a moment and it is the pinnacle moment mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. full experience that you go for but that is that isn't the only thing. That's that is just a moment. It's everything that surrounds it. It's it's it's, yeah. it's the days and days of and the, learning. Yeah. The the amount that that first year means to me, be, you know, because of that whole journey and, um, the fact that I take a lot of pride in the fact that nobody showed me that spot. I every, everything about that deer I worked for my on my own. Yeah. I didn't have anything handed to me. It means so much more, you know, I feel bad. I feel bad saying this, but a friend of ours, Garrett Burback, fellow bird me- uh, board member on, of BHA with us, I went on a turkey hunt with him and Garrett is one hell of a turkey hunter and we got a turkey <laughs> real easy <laughs> because of his knowledge of where we were and his skill and calling that turkey I enjoyed eating it. I I mean, I had fun. I especially had fun hanging out with Garrett. That turkey does not mean... It doesn't have the same depth yeah, of that, meaning. Depth. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. and that turkey doesn't even have the same amount of meaning that my first squirrel had, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because that squirrel, I had experienced failure mm-hmm. squirrel hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Squirrel hunting is not as, as easy as everybody thinks. Right. And I experienced failure, so then the success felt good. Yeah. Going on your first turkey hunt, and shooting a turkey at eleven yards. I always get yeah. I always get worried when I when I hear the stories. Actually, there was in, in Minnesota uh, three four years ago. We've, we've got a, a program with the the fishing game agency, the DNR, um, a learn to hunt. And I and I think actually um, this new hunter who was out with Naomi, one of our our big mentors there, who who's just like super mentor for for new hunters. Um, I think it was in the bow program. She, on her first weekend ever deer hunting, got one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen. <laughs> and I think, wow, <laughs> you should just sort of, you might just want to hang it up now. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's just. <laughs> it, 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 and so, you know, it, it's when you, sh- you know, and that's just the reality. Obviously you celebrate that and it's really great, but, but it's different. And, and I think there's, there's a beauty in that, in that struggle and that, and that, and that learning process that that makes it that much sweeter it's like in life in in general right i think life is like that way it's it's totally that way and it's like what's interesting too is like you know i think like when the conversation we were having last night you could tell when people are talking about like connecting to their food and eating responsibly and everything and there there's this desire to that's that's a deep desire that connection is not a superficial connection like they're enjoying the outdoors they want to learn like you were talking about you wanted to be in the outdoors and develop skills you want to learn the tree identification and understand the processes and and work through the successes and ups and downs and failures and everything like that and that's all required to have those deeper connections and I, i was impressed with i really felt like there was, I heard a lot of conversation where there was this genuine thing where it wasn't just about the, the, the food, the food, um, it was something that was help, you know, it's, it's ethical eating. It was responsible and, and it was everything lending toward that, that connection to it and, yes. and the outdoor experience with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, abs- absolutely. And it was, 
it was uh, it was all all of those things. I didn't hear any perspectives that I was sort of questioning or thought, oh, I'm not sure if they're really getting every everybody was, I think, on the same page in, in a very genuine way. Um, David, you, you, what was the example you gave last night of reuse? Have you used public transportation to do a float trip or something like that? You said, well, I used to, I used to use public transportation all the time to go hiking. And I even did a, uh, pack rafting trip, uh, using public transportation. Um, I have not, I have not hunted via public transportation. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have, uh, dreamed about uh how interesting that could be as as a as a challenge um i don't know um i mean just ima- i mean imagine if you came on uh metro north with a deer in your backpack <laughs> 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 the conversations that could that, that you could yeah. have um i'm lucky enough to have a car now yeah yeah um but you could yeah. I, I mean if you if you really had the motivation to hunt and you really don't have any transportation um you could hmm. um uh i wouldn't recommend it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. but the i kind of i i don't like to dwell on the um obstacles to people that are in urban centers because the truth is i mean Mark, how how far do you have to drive when you go hunting? It's not out your back door, I would imagine, no, in the not. Twin no, Cities, no, no, right? No, no. So, to a certain extent, these are the obstacles that everybody has to face. Um, and you you take that, yeah, I don't know, you take that adversity in stride, and it's part of the process, you know. And it, it's not that the fact that you have to drive is not adversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, a two hour car ride is not, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not, but I think, you know, for a, like when you're really not sure if you're somebody that's like entertaining, am, do I want to explore hunting or not? Um, do I, how much do I want to invest in this? I'm in this exploratory mode I, I want to connect with my food that resonates with me and I love the outdoors and I like this idea of responsible eating, but I'm not sure it's really for me. I'm not sure I can actually shoot an animal or something like that. They might not drive two hours to go. I mean, if there was some place that there was access yeah. a little closer for them to be like, okay, I'm going to try this and it's just a convenience thing. I don't know. Well, that, I, that might be a generalization, I but think, I feel like. I think we do I have to the, take a step back because yeah. one of the things we talked about last night is um so in new jersey they have this apprentice hunting program yeah if you've never hunted before for two years you can buy a apprentice hunting license and then any hunter can take you out and you don't have to take hunter's education and it's a big problem that we have here i think in the entire state but especially in new york city we don't have enough classes in general for new for the new hunters that want to get involved I did my, you know, I, I, maybe I was just very motivated. I did my hunter education in Long Island and got a hotel room for a night. Um, that, that is an obstacle for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I agree with Todd. Yeah. If you are just wondering, is this for me? Might I like it? Then the idea that you're going to go and spend an entire right. weekend yeah. to get your hunter education for something that you may never do again, mm-hmm. yeah, um, is a lot, and and a lot of people also, they're not thinking. You know, people these days don't think in a, you know in advance, right? I think a lot of times the opportunities might be, it's November, and you find out that somebody that you have a you know a connection with hunts, and you say, oh, I might, I'd like to do that. Okay, great. Next year, you know, yeah, you know, right. uh, yeah, you know? Yeah. instead Absolutely. of, sure, we can go down, you know, to the, you know, to Dick's or whatever, and we yeah. can buy you an apprentice hunting license and we can go, you know, on a squirrel hunt or whatever it is. Gonna yeah. Be. So what's interesting about that is like when we were talking about access, so 
there's also that element of access to hunter ed that i hadn't really thought about but that is kind of unique to this area here in new york uh, as david was saying so you know you think of access in the terms like we were talking access in terms of like actual physical land yep that's huntable yep and then access as far as like transportation mm-hmm. getting to it mm-hmm. but then the the access is also just that like how do you know can i get access to a hunter ed program right, right. if i'm if i'm willing to commit to that mm-hmm. you know so that's another interesting layer here that's in new york that it is and that's where i know, was thinking like like last night as we talked about access it, we you know, where I was going earlier is like, I think a lot of times we think of it purely in terms of land, but it is so much more. It's access to the education. Uh, it's also access to the, a firearm. And that's where in New York, there are additional challenges we talked about last night. Uh, one of our members told me that it took him something like six to seven months to get registered, mm-hmm. you know, the process. Yeah. And, and what his... He felt like it was a fairly straightforward process, but I think what I heard from him as a kind of a critique, if you will, was that there there wasn't a lot of um, feedback through the process to know where he was. Mm. So it was a kind sort of, of a, a non-transparent black hole. It's also expensive. Is it? it yeah, is, huh? I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, so um, I keep my firearms outside of the city. Okay. So I, I haven't had to deal, I, you know, I just avoided the, you know, that whole process. But, um, so like what it like, if you keep them west of here and you're going to go north hunting, you got to go, you got to go pick up your, it's a, I mean, it's a problem because, you know, a friend of mine, Mike Jolly and I like to hunt birds together Yeah. and he lives in Williamsburg and we can't, we can't just go together, you know, and just go hunting now mm-hmm. because we have to make a stop, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and yeah. it might be in the yeah. opposite direction right. of, of yeah. you know. Right, right. So it just adds to the whole um, logistics. Yeah. I believe it's $300 for, for the permit. Okay. And I think you have to get, get re-registered every three years. So you talk about $100 yeah. a year, yeah. you know. Um, not inconsequential for yeah, people yeah. that are trying to well, start. And the factor yeah. of sort of just, I think, the hassle factor, like I heard somebody say last night, they had all the paperwork done and they just hadn't gone down to, because I, th- I think they said there's one location. Yep, where you have you, to go to one police plaza. You have to get fingerprinted. Okay. Um, kind of sounds like the pistol permit process upstate, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I was going to say, so, so that's, the, that's for long guns That's, that's too, for right? the boroughs, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. for long guns. But I think that... I mean, I haven't been through it, so I don't know. But, um, you know, I would imagine that going to your local police department in Chestertown is a whole lot more convenient than going down to one police plaza and dealing with, you know, with that whole situation. For sure. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So so I think, yeah, I mean, relative to this, it's it's just it's one of those factors of, I mean, this is New York City. That's Mm -hmm. obviously a pretty unique situation. Yeah. Um, But it's something to for like what we're doing we're discussing it as far as it's it's a factor and it's well, an access factor i think what, in though? terms of beyond, that does complicate it beyond i mean like as much as we can like talk about the permitting process so i never i never fired a gun before didn't know anybody that had a gun i wasn't going to go and buy a gun having never shot one before right and rightfully so i'm not i don't expect it, it would for a stranger to go out of their way and say here i'll i'll show you i'll take you under my wing and i will teach you how to shoot guns that's a lot to ask of you know yeah, of people because it, yeah. you know if you don't know somebody and gun shops don't generally speak that there aren't many places that rent guns for and especially hunting rifles right yeah, yeah. you you might be able you're more likely to be able to rent you know I don't know if there are any places. Well, there I are don't either. I mean, yeah. it's been a while since I looked into it, but you're going to be more likely to be able to rent a semi-automatic weapon in two-two-three than you would to rent a thirty-six bolt yeah. bolt-action rifle at a range. What, what's interesting is, like, I think, like, here we are sitting at the Metropolitan Rod and Gun Club, and there's like. I, it opened my eyes to the fact that there was places like this. There's places like the archery range that you shoot at, at Floyd Bennett. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that was for somebody that lives outside of the city was an eye opener for me. Like, Oh, I didn't even know 
these resources were here. So I think there's not to jump ahead out of the barriers, but like there's an opportunity to partner and connect with these kinds of folks and 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 like work together um, to provide some exposure. It could be it doesn't you know it, just, it could be just the connection. It could be a name. It could be you know here's somebody talk to Matt. You know exactly. You know no so. totally. And that's and that is the thing that 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 you know I, I think we need to do better job of is is connecting the people, having these conversations so that people are aware of this. I mean, how cool is this? Just right down the road from where we were at, like you said, both of us so surprised of of realizing there's this cool old storied rod and gun club with a diverse membership here um, where if you live in Brooklyn, hey, give them a call, check it out. This is this is pretty cool. Um, and, and, and providing you with resources to where it is, you know, like we say, knocking down the barriers to entry. If you are interested, there are people, there are there are there are facilities, there are there are things that can make it so much uh, more more accessible. And we should say, th- so this is my first time here, and I've known about it. And as I as we talked about, I always assumed that this was way outside of my price range. We are in a we're in one of the fancier neighborhoods of Brooklyn. Certainly not a working class neighborhood anymore. They have a gigantic building that's standalone. I thought this was a thing that was not, this was not, not reach. on my pay yeah. scale. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's $200 a year. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's something, it's a resource. And so then it's becoming, how can we help people know that these kinds of resources are out there because it goes back to what David, our host had said was, how did I not know this was even (laughs) happening? And so like, I feel like there's an opportunity for folks like us to like connect the dots, you know? Absolutely. So that's where I think the opportunity lies. So what are the other, so that, that was the, that was the other thing we talked about last night. One of the other things, which was how do we knock down barriers? I think one is awareness. So the people like, like you said, David, it was just so fun to hear him talk about that. Or, you know, he said, he said, if you would have told me five years ago that I was going to be hosting a wild game dinner at my house in Brooklyn, I would have said you were nuts. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) You know, and, and he didn't, he said, I didn't have a clue of that this whole world existed and his wife said jordana said said he got a little ocd on it like (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what that's That's, exactly what she said she's actually she's actually the one that i have been uh thinking about the most i mean poor jordana she you know she married this neurosurgeon you know i mean like you know like he's somewhat i mean i love him to death he's somewhat of like this nerdy doctor and at 47, she he springs on her. I think I want to kill <laughs> animals yeah. and buy guns. I mean, like yeah. like this this was not in her life plan at all. Yeah, I like the story she told about talking about her like to her parents or her mother about it, and she she's like, David's doing what? You know, what is he doing this weekend? So so, so you know, and, and she and she brought up in the large group study last night of I think a lot of friends again knocking their head around, head not being able to get their heads around this of. Wait, he saves lives during the day, and then after work, he wants to go yeah. kill a living being with, with, in hunting. They just can't get their head around that. And I think that is when it, you know we talked about that a little bit last night. That is one of the tough things with introducing people to the concept, the idea of hunting is how can you love these animals, these species, the outdoors, and go engage in the in that action. And uh, and I think it, it it's incumbent upon us to to convey that. And I think at the end of the day, maybe the only way to for people to really understand that is to participate in some way or get out there. I think we, I think we make too much of thinking that that's a hard conversation to have though, because, you know, I asked the question last night to everybody, has anybody here had a negative reaction from anyone when, when they, you know, when, when, uh, you know, somebody in your world here in Brooklyn found out that you're a hunter or that you are a gun owner. Mm hmm. Nobody, I, we didn't hear any stories of, uh, you know, yeah, I lost, you know, I lost a friend over this or, you know, yeah, so, you right, know, right. somebody, yeah. you know, um, I have a, I have a pet care business, right? You know, like, um, people trust me to take care of their, of their dogs. Yeah. And I 
uh, you know, I, I, maybe it took me a little while to come around to it, but certainly now I do not hide from the fact that I'm a hunter at all. I wear. You said you wear a hunting t-shirt I, I, every day, I, I right? Wear, I wear a hunting t-shirt practically every day. The one you're wearing today is the best I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I if if the opportunity, if 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 that opportunity comes up to talk about hunting, I'm taking it. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I I put myself out there in a purposeful way. You know, I I don't. I'm not trying to beat people over the head with it. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But I don't shy away from the fact that this is what I do. Yeah. And I think that's something, you know, I tried to, I think, drive that point home at the end of the night when, Todd, you'd ask, you know, what, or people ask, what, what can we do? What are the things we can do? Um, and, and I think th- at the very simplest level, if you do hunt, if you're new to hunting, if you've been hunting for a long time, talk to people about it. Yeah. That to me is, is the simplest thing. Like you said, don't shy away from it. And, and you know, as a case study of what we did last night, uh, break bread with people, invite yes. people to your table for a meal. Like, you know, the model that you're working with, with modern carnivore, like the the food, like, you know, with Jordana talking about like, okay, like starting with the food, starting with the conversations of the outdoors and everything like that. Like what we, what did we learn yesterday? We learned that there's a butcher shop called the Meat Hook that does, that does workshops that can introduce people to that to that intimate level of like handling their food. Right. And so that's a conversation starter, getting them at at a wild game dinner and talking about that food and talking about what it took uh, for that animal to be there. Right. And, and what their perception is. And, you know, those are starters. Those are conversation starters too. I don't think you can. uh, Absolutely. We had new neighbors move in to our building recently and I, I, they probably were there a couple of weeks and I brought them a venison lunch. <laughs> they're, they're lucky because I'm going to, I'm going to just, for people that aren't with us, uh, David is you're fine, fine wild game it. chef. You made last night the venison backstrap seared very rare with pickled, uh, with a pickled ramp aioli on, that you know, was, like on a piece of toast, like was, a, like a hors d'oeuvre. So I, when everybody was up talking at, you know, toward the end when people were leaving, I was down in the kitchen, like cleaning up the plate, you know, that, that there were like a handful of those left and mm-hmm. I'm the person responsible for getting rid of that. <laughs> I ate, I ate several of them. That food it was, was great. So good. Oh it my was good God. Food, all the food was good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it yeah. was so good. What were those, what were those, uh, ground meat, those, uh, uh, those longer yeah. ones. Do you know what those I were called? Uh, I think they were called Kafka's. Okay, yeah. 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 I, didn't, yeah. I didn't make them, but... Uh, Chris Farber made those. Yeah, but I uh, I took a bunch of them home. Yeah. And uh, that for breakfast, I had uh, I like had those in a in a big salad. Yeah. And, oh, it was delicious. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was really, really good food. So who do we think... Um, who do we? Th- who should be invited to this conversation in the future? You know who? You know we've talked about outdoors people, people already doing things like that, where you can have an easy con- easier conversation, maybe of hey, you know you're already you're already hiking around and tromping around in these wild places. Have you mm-hmm. ever thought about hunting or fishing, mm-hmm. foraging? Um, but I think in, in a city environment like this, who who are the people you think that would that would be interested in 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 having a conversation like that? We, we certainly shouldn't preclude anybody. But, yeah, if, exactly. if, but if you're talking about, you know, where are we going to get our most bang for our buck, you know, in in going after people? Certainly the people that are, you know, making that conscious decision to buy their meat at a place like the Meat Hook um, is an excellent place to start, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that they want to, you know, I know that, um, another butcher shop here, Fleischer's, you know, I know that people that go to that butcher shop will actually go visit the farm that they get their, their cattle from, Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, those people, you know, they, they definitely, you know, have expressed an interest and I think they're, they're probably, hung up on the cultural aspect of this isn't a thing that that people in my group do you know mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. like you know right um 
maybe I won't. Be, maybe I won't be welcomed. I, I right. don't know if I'm. You right. know, you, you talked yeah. about it. This this yeah. Ron Gulkelman. You've known about it here for a while, but you even thought, ah, oh, I'm, well, yeah, I'm not. Well, I thought the type thing. Yeah, yeah it's not. You the, know, my and, thing. and honestly, like, that's on me, right? Yeah. More so than more so than anybody else, because I I would imagine that I I'm, I guarantee you I would be welcomed here, right? Absolutely. The the thing that I think would be my hang up is, am I going to get along with, you know, maybe the much, you know, the older generation, mm-hmm. right? Are, mm-hmm. Like, are there values and what they look yeah. to get mm-hmm. out of hunting yeah. the, yeah. the yeah. same yeah, the as, same, as yeah. me? Yeah. 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 And I think those are, I think those are all the types of, that's a great example of all the types of questions anybody coming into or taking the next step in some type of an outdoor adventure is going to have. It's the unknowns. And that's where I think the only... All we can do is just say, "Hey, let's go have a conversation and find yeah. out," you know, and yeah. and and then make it make a decision. Either it is or it isn't. Well, you know? that's that's a great thing about BHA in particular. Also, you know, like one of the things that I have would like to point out to the listeners: there's a lot of people here in in Brooklyn that like to hunt and fish, uh, like a mm. lot. It, it is, and th- this hunting club that we're sitting in, it looks like any other hunting club anywhere else in the rest of America. Yeah, I mean, it's, we a, could, and it smells like one too. It, we could be. <laughs> it does. It smells like 1934. It well, does. At the same time, <laughs> at the same time for, for all of the, for all of the urbanites that are listening, you know, people that live on a farm, you know, wherever outside of the city that you live, they might not necessarily be what you ex- what what you expect either. You know, um, we uh, we need to break down a little bit of you know uh, the barriers that we think that there are between urban and rural, and come to yeah. realize that we have a whole lot more in common than than you would expect. And the food connection is is like the straight path to doing that. The conversations and you know having. We were talking about this yesterday, like uh, as part of a human experience and consciousness and the development of humanity, like sharing food is something that is so visceral to humanity that it can be a game changer. It really can. And I think it's a it's a great it's a great way to sit down and to demonstrate in a very real physical way um, an openness, a sharing, an invitation um, and, and that's, that's the beauty of it. That's, that, that, that's so cool. And, and to be, uh, in, in the middle of this group of people, like we were talking about last night in the middle of Brooklyn, having this conversation about hunting, fishing out in wild places with people, like you said, where on the surface, I, I come from, I'm here from Minnesota. You know, I grew up up north in the woods in Minnesota. Todd, you live up north in New York, not too dissimilar from Minnesota. Way, you and I are way outside of the city. Mm-hmm. David, you, you're in the city, but the common, but you know what, commonality. Though, yeah. We had a lot of people that, that, they live in Brooklyn now, right? But we people that grew up in Iowa, Arkansas. All over. You know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, people migrate, you know, and, yeah. and they, yeah. you know, Canada. And, uh, uh, yeah, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they, and they bring, the, they bring their, you know, that ideas and their yeah. perspectives yeah. to cities as well. And, you know, and it's um, a melting pot. Yeah. yeah. And there, and yet there were others who were, there were guys uh, and, and gals there last night who grew up in in the five boroughs Mm -hmm. right in this area too Mm -hmm. which is and and that's the scenario i think where a lot of times exactly to your point david um we we don't think that we have as much in common as we really do these perspectives and that's where we can sit and have this conversation go wow there's so much similarity in perspective and and even for new hunters with experiences and and just a commonality and an ability to have that great conversation for sure yeah 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 it was it was a it was an incredible evening. Um, you know, I'm thankful that you came all the way from Minnesota to be able to to do this with us. You know, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you for because, inviting me, uh, man. It was great. Yeah, it was a really fun, and it was productive, and it was a learning experience for me, I think, personally. And I think it's also 
like it just catalyzes the um there's opportunity to continue this here that this is alive and well here like you just you nailed it in saying there are people here and you know here you are in the biggest urban area in the northeast and there are hunters yeah and i think that is really really pretty exciting and there's public land close which uh, you know land close which we're really fortunate to have yep yeah no absolutely and there's enough room for more people to utilize that public land too. Well, yeah. that's why on the next trip we're actually going to get out fishing, and that was we that was are. the idea. The idea was Tanner, like when we were talking about me coming out, it's like, well, let's go fishing that morning, and then we're gonna have some fresh fish, and we're gonna we're gonna we cook up gonna, some fish. So yeah. you, were gonna, you were gonna go out on a boat though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But here's the thing, we got pier fishing here too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, like so. Yeah. You don't even have to go out yeah. on you, a boat. You don't even have to go out on a boat. And like the, there's accessibility to all of that and everything. Yeah. So next time we are going to do some fishing, you know, um, and we, we also look forward upstate, like, uh, in, you know, opportunities for snowshoe hare hunting Absolutely. at some point, you know, in, in the Adirondacks. It's mm-hmm. a fun experience. So we're definitely going to, definitely going to do that. Um, so Todd, I know you you always like to conclude your podcast with the question of any final thoughts. So I will I'll throw that out to you guys. Any any final takeaways? Uh, you know, this is just kind of a did you know kind of thing. But like here, you know, Brooklyn and New York. As a New Yorker, I take a lot of pride in like reading history about conservation. And New Yorkers, people like Theodore Roosevelt and Theodore Gordon, who was one of the pioneers for dry fly angling, and people like George Bird Grinnell. I, I love the heritage. You know, George Bird Grinnell was born here in Brooklyn. And interestingly enough, he he grew up in the house that was once owned by John James Audubon. So that house had some pretty good karma. Okay. Yeah. It, George Bird Grinnell ended up um, becoming editor of Forest and Stream magazine for 35 years, which was the bully pulpit for conservation. That's how they got the conservation word out. It was interesting. I was reading the other day, this guy from Brooklyn, George Bird Grinnell, then as an editor for Forest and Stream, was one of the catalysts for for actually helping the National Audubon Society get together. So like he grew up in this house that John James Audubon had, and then he helped get that whole society together back in the day and got the Migratory Bird Act going, right? And all they did for wildlife conservation and the North American conservation model and so I'm, I'm particularly excited to think that that energy is still here today. And I think that the, if those people 120 years ago could look now and say, wow, there's people like David Giever in Brooklyn. There's people like Mark Norquist who are coming and we're having these conversations and this is alive. And I get goosebumps, you know, thinking about that. It's, it's great. He literally so, does. Yeah. He's, he's not lying. <laughs> so that's, that's a, that's a tangential, um, concluding thought that's that's, that's just off on the side but it's just something that uh is, is fun that's great no, yeah it's uh, it, that um that brooklyn connection with, <laughs> with grinnell i had and, and audubon i hadn't even thought about that right now that's that's so cool so you want me to go after that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I do not have anything prepared like that. <laughs> you want me to look on my phone? I can find something, some interesting fact for you. Just talk for a few minutes. Uh, um, I'm thankful, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunities that we have nearby. I'm thankful that I, you know, albeit late in life, that I found hunting and fishing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful that every time we do an event here in New York City, you know, um, people prove to us about how much they do care about the fact that we have these opportunities. And um, I think that uh, I care very much so about increasing participation. And and I, I don't think that it's going to be accomplished, though, through some like big grand plan. I think it's going to be accomplished through individual connections with people and that, like that's how that's how we have to do it so couldn't um, agree more that is a strong if, strong you know conduct conduct yourself thought. in a respectful manner so people don't have that stereotypical opinion of mm-hmm. hunting and fishing that is sometimes warranted but in generally not warranted right and if you meet somebody think about how you can get them out there 
and with and maybe also don't rob them of that experience though of of figuring some of this out on their own you know yeah yeah a scouting trip to me is the best way to to get somebody involved in in hunting and fishing that's really good really Um, good point good good activity to do definitely well, you guys, thank you so much. I had a great time. I mean, I, I had no idea where we were going to go with the, with the last couple of days, what was going to happen, and I couldn't have had more fun. It was it was great, and I can't wait for us to do it again. David, great to get to know you. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Todd, thanks for everything, putting the event together. Uh, it's It's been awesome. So. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Look yeah. forward to doing it again, Mark. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.